Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 5th, 2022. It is currently 7.30 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you listened to the earlier live broadcast today, you know that I was contemplating opening up the window behind me and just jumping out, just jumping out. And then I realized I'm only two stories above a street. I don't don't think that's really going to do enough damage. So then I thought about getting in my car, driving to the tallest building in Abilene and jumping off that. And I know that's a little hyperbolic because I wasn't really thinking about harming myself. But I was using that illustration because I was extremely frustrated about a number of things related to biblical hermeneutics, just a whole host of things. So I spent over an hour talking about biblical hermeneutics, church history, the Reformation, the idea of a magisterial authority who can hand down authoritative interpretation versus, well, I guess every individual becoming their own pope. All of the different issues that have arisen in the history of hermeneutics. We talked about five different systems of hermeneutics, Yes, it was an interesting, I can't say, it wasn't a teaching. It was more just, hey, I'm frustrated. Do you want to listen to me talk about it for an hour? (laughs) I I don't know. That's probably not the best way to do a podcast. But the one thing I've always loved about this is, uh, about the Theology Central podcast, is really whenever I go live, I mean, there's certain things you probably kind of have come to expect. There are certain perspectives you know that I have. There's certain ways that I speak, but I think you can agree that you never really know exactly what we're going to talk about because we talk about so many different things from Bible study, theological discussion, hermeneutics, talking about what's going on in the church, talking about what's going on in the culture, to news commentary, literally you never know. And that's probably the the fact that we just do so many different things. That's probably why we produce so many episodes a year. I mean, I mean, we're, we get close to like 900 episodes a year. That's a pretty amazing number. And uh, I'm, 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 I, I, some will say, well, yeah, you put out a lot of quantity, quantity, but you don't put out much quality. Okay, okay, I'm willing to accept any criticism, but when you are producing that that many programs, I guess my my feeling is I could sit here and edit and produce and 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 you know, try to make it all professional. But I just like the idea of a real person who is a sinner, who is still trying to figure out the Christian life for myself, sitting in front of a microphone, two stories above a street in Abilene, Texas, or sometimes sitting in an empty sanctuary in the middle of nowhere, Texas, um, just talking about the Christian life, doctrine, theology, and the most real, organic way possible with all of its flaws with all the, just everything that comes with it. And either you like that or you hate that, but there are plenty of those very polished, produced, edited. They have producers. They they have the whole, they have everything. Um, there's plenty of those. So is there room for, for something a little bit different? Maybe, maybe not. But I say all of that because we're going to move from kind of my frustration about biblical hermeneutics, which we talked about earlier, to, well, returning to kind of an issue within biblical hermeneutics, one that is very, very important. 
remember, I don't remember now, maybe it was last week. I don't even remember. But if you go back into our, I think if you look under our series, uh, the our series on hermeneutics, which is available on the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app, if you look up Theology Central or if you download the Church One app and just select us as your broadcaster of choice, it'll turn the Church One app into Theology Central. You'll see all of our different series. If you go into hermeneutics, I think you'll see a two-part mini-series on law and grace, a, a contrast of law and grace. And in part one, I introduced it by reading the following words. Listen carefully. In the study of the Holy Scriptures, as indeed in any other study, it is of paramount importance to distinguish carefully between things that differ. And the study of the Holy Scriptures, or in the interpretation of the Holy Scriptures, that's my words. Indeed, in any other study, it is of paramount importance to distinguish carefully between things that are different or things that differ. Unless this is done, unless you take the time to distinguish between things that are different, untold darkness and confusion will result, where otherwise there would be perfect light and clarity. Now, if you don't take anything away, if you didn't take anything away from that two-part mini-series on law and grace, if you didn't take anything away from that other than that quote, well, then I think you still benefited from it. And if you don't take anything away from this current mini-series that we are doing right now on a different thing, on, a, on, a, on something else that we're trying to, to show the difference between and trying to um, distinguish carefully between these things that differ, um, if you only take away again from this, that quote, you've benefited from it greatly. So let me read it to you one more time. In the study, in the interpretation of the Holy Scriptures, as indeed in any other study, it is of paramount importance to distinguish carefully between things that differ. Unless this is done, untold darkness and confusion will result where otherwise there would be perfect light and clarity. And untold darkness and confusion have arisen over the subjects of law and Grace. Now, I'm going to change it to what we're studying tonight. Listen, untold darkness and confusion have arisen over the subjects of position and practice. We have to distinguish between the difference between our position in Christ and our practice as Christians. They are completely different, and for some weird reason, not only do Christians seem to confuse and confound these principles, many, many behind the pulpit, whether intentionally or unintentionally, creates much confusion that leads to di discouragement, depression, frustration, irritation, dare I will use a popular word, deconstruction. Because some people come to the conclusion Christianity doesn't work. It's a lie. It's a sales pitch that doesn't work. They, they promise all of this and it does not deliver. Look at 2,000 years of church history. Clearly, it doesn't deliver. And the reason they come to that conclusion is because they have not been taught 
They have not been brought to an understanding of the difference between one's position in Christ and one's practice. So that is what we have been working on. Now, what we're using to try to do this is we're using a one-year discipleship guide by David Cloud. Don't agree with all of his teaching, but he does a very, an interesting job, at least bringing this up in his discipleship guide, which it's like a one-year discipleship course, I think is what it's called. And uh, I, what I like about it is that he believes, obviously, and perceives that there is a great need for someone who's a brand new believer. Like, hey, you're a brand new believer? Okay, here's a discipleship course. You're going to spend a year being discipled. And one of those key subjects is you need to know the difference between position and practice. Not only do I believe this is essential for all discipleship programs, I think this is essential for every church member class, if you have a new church member class, this is essential for every Sunday school class. It's essential for preaching. It's essential for everyone who's been a Christian for 25 years to someone who's been saved for 15 minutes. They need to know the difference between their position and their practice. If not, untold confusion and darkness will occur. If they understand it, I think they'll find clarity, they'll find light, I think they'll find peace, they'll find spiritual rest, they'll find spiritual encouragement, and I believe some kind of spiritual hope. You may think that's all hyperbole, you may think that that's a sales pitch, but I will stand by that, that so many problems arise from not knowing the difference, all right? So we're going to do a little bit of review. Right? And, I, and I don't apologize for that because, uh, I mean, I know I always, sometimes I make the mistake of reviewing too much and I feel bad. In this particular case, I'm not going to feel bad because I think this is of such importance that to hear it, I hear a little bit of it again will not hurt you. Now, the discipleship course begins by giving a number of passages of scripture that they obviously feel are essential in understanding this subject. So let's look at all of them. The first one is Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to take a drink of water really quick. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's great to have a cough button right there on the microphone, isn't it? It, It's it's great. All right, Ephesians chapter one. Sometimes I forget to uh, push the button, but it's right there. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Everybody ready? I I hate when I do that. You get used to teaching in front of people. And so you say, oh, is everyone ready? And then you look up because you want to see heads nodding. You want to see people have opened their Bible. You want to see that everyone's ready to go. And then I'll say that in a podcast, everyone ready? And then I look up and I'm like, I'm in an empty room. Okay, why? (laughs) Are you ready? I mean, I know I'm live on the air across the internet and on a number of different platforms, but I usually don't have an idea of the number of people listening until I'm done. And I look at all of the statistics for every platform. I'm like, okay, we were doing pretty good tonight. And sometimes I'm like, okay, well, maybe I was the only one. But if you are listening or whenever you hear this, after this is immediately sent out to YouTube and all of the uh, different podcast platforms, whoever you are, wherever you may be, whenever you may be, I hope you're ready because we're going to look at Ephesians chapter one, verse three. Here we go. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, key word, in Christ. In Christ. In Christ is your position. And in him, in Christ, irregardless of your practice, in Christ, you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You have all spiritual blessings in Christ. We'll talk more about the position in a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 is the second passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, I love this verse because this seems to really bring these concepts together of position and practice. Let me, I want to make sure we understand something, right? So I'm just going to, I'm going to just go ahead and throw this out here because this is, and then we'll take this verse apart just a little bit, all right? And I know we did this in part one, but this is essential. So I, so I want you to get your thinking caps on. This is so important. When you become a Christian, You have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, and because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, his perfect passive and active obedience, his perfect righteousness has been imputed to you or accredited to your account. So in Christ, you are without sin. In Christ, you are perfect. You are forgiven. In Christ, You are holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. You'll never be that in practice, but in your position, you are as holy as Christ because his righteousness has been imputed to your account. You are not, you are not, you're not infused with a righteousness. It is just accredited to your account. You're declared to be righteous. You're declared to be holy. You're declared to be godly. You're declared to be a faithful servant because in Christ, everything that was, and think of it this way, everything that Christ did, everything that he accomplished, it is credited to be yours. So in Christ, you're holy, you're perfect, you are forgiven. Listen to what I'm about to say. In Christ, in your, in your position, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. In your position, in your practice, That is not true. The confusion is preachers preach it as if it is true in practice, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, unless you believe in the complete eradication of the old nature and the complete eradication of one's depravity. But as long as you live on this earth, as long as you live in this and your body, slapping my arm, your depravity, your flesh, your sinful nature remains. So therefore, clearly in practice, everything hasn't become new and not all the old is gone. But in your position, it is 100% true. In my position, I am holy, I am perfect, I am righteous. In my practice, I am a sinner with a sinful nature who will sin and will sin and will continue to sin for the rest of my existence on earth. The Christian life is best described or best defined as this. The Christian life is the impossible 
never-ending task of seeking to live out and practice what is true in my position. I seek to live out and practice what is true in my position, which is holy, righteous, godly, obedient. Right? And so many, so many times people take scriptures like the Sermon on the Mount, and we see that as like, well, I, hey, I've got to live this out, and this is going to prove that I'm saved. That's a horrible way of looking at it because you can't look to your practical righteousness to prove your position. Your position is based off an imputed righteousness. Your practical righteousness cannot prove an imputed righteousness. If you're looking to your practical righteousness to prove your salvation, you're not looking to an imputed righteousness. You're looking to an infused righteousness, which then throws out the entire Protestant Reformation and returns you right back to Rome. Okay, so no, my salvation is based off my imputed righteousness. My position in Christ is eternal. It is secure because it has nothing to do with my behavior or my actions. I, I seek to live out what is true positionally be out of a position of, of, I, of gratitude, of love, because of what God has done to me positionally should motiva- motivate me to live out and practice, not to prove something, but to show gratitude and love. So let me say again, the best definition of the Christian life is the, uh, the, 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 the Christian life is the never ending and possible task of living out, living out and practice what is true in my position. The Christian life is the never-ending and possible task of living out and practice what is true of my position in Christ. Right? Now, I say all of that because Ephesians 5, 8 brings it all together. For you were sometimes darkness. That's true. I was depraved in darkness, dead in my trespasses and sins. But now are you light in the Lord, in my position I'm perfect. There's light. There's no darkness at all. In my position, there is no darkness. There is no corruption. There is no sin. There is only holiness, godliness, and perfection in Christ. But then note right here, walk as children of light. See, I am light in Christ. Now I seek to walk as a child of light. I seek to walk out practically what is true in my position. That is Ephesians 5, 8. I absolutely love that verse because it brings all of it together. Let's go to uh, Hebrews 12. Now, I know I know we're spending way too much time reviewing, but that's okay. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, verse 6. Hebrews 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is, is, is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be not, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all ye, all are partakers, then ye are bastard. Then then are ye bastards and not sons. Now this speaks of our practice. In my practice, I may sin. In my, well, I will sin. I will fall short, and there will be times of chastisement. But that, that, I'm still a son. 
I may have hurt the Father. My fellowship with the Father may be greatly hindered, but I am a son because my sonship, my relationship is based off an imputed righteousness, has nothing to do with my practical righteousness. All right? So we, we looked at all of those verses, right? I'm not going to go back through all of that. We spent a considerable amount of time discussing the difference between relationship and fellowship, right? Relationship and fellowship. My relationship with God is based off what Christ did alone. And it's completely based off the work of God. God chose me, elected me, adopted me, saved me, imputed Christ's righteousness to me. Has nothing. My relationship is eternal. It is secure. It cannot change based off what I do. Nothing I can do can change my relationship with the Father. However, my fellowship is based off what I do, and that can be changed, that can fluctuate, that can be moved based off my obedience or disobedience, my repentance or my lack thereof. I, I can be in a perfect relationship with the Father, but, but I can have broken fellowship. That is the fellowship is based off my actions. Think of it this way. Relationship is based off the work of Christ. Fellowship is based off my works. And my works don't prove my relationship because my relationship is based off an imputed righteousness. I think that's so very important. So we spent the whole time talking about that. Now, we're going to spend just this evening, the rest of the time. Yeah, we only really have one section to work on. We're going to look at position and practice, standing and walk. So we've looked at relationship and fellowship. Now we're going to look at position and practice, standing and walk. All right, this is from the one-year discipleship course. Let's read it uh, word for word. Another way to describe this position and practice or standing and walk. uh, Okay, another way to describe this is position and practice or standing and walk. Consider the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters describe the believer's new position or standing in Christ, whereas the last three chapters describe his practice or walk in this world. Listen to that again. The first three chapters of Ephesians describe the believer's new position or standing in Christ. The last three chapters describe his practice or walk in this world. The key phrase in chapters 1 through 3 is in Christ. In fact, we can look at them. Okay, look. At, go to the back to the book of Ephesians. You may want to uh, just mark these. Ephesians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Look at verse 10. That in, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. That phrase is used there. Look at verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who trusted for, who first trusted in 
Christ. That's using it a little differently there, but the phrase is used. All right, um, let's see. Um, okay, wait. Okay, we looked at verse 10. We looked at verse 12. Okay, now let's look at verse 20, I believe, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, I'm sitting in heaven. That's how secure my position. Here's the, here's the thing. To change my relationship with God or to change my position with God, someone would have to go to heaven and pull Christ off the throne and drag him out of heaven because I'm in him. He's in heaven at the right hand of the father. That is where I am positionally. My relationship, that's how secure my relationship is because I'm in Christ. Um, chapter two, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Um, Let's look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. I'm I'm brought nigh because I'm in Christ. Um, Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And then chapter 3, verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, not all of those phrases maybe specifically speak of our position, but the phrase in Christ is used over and over and over. All right. Now, back to the discipleship course. And I quote, In God's eyes, the believer is in Christ. He is forgiven, justified, declared righteous, redeemed, adopted, and given eternal life. The believer is blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly place in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. This new position is not based on the believer's works. It is God's free gift in Christ, Ephesians 2.8-9. The price was Christ's own blood, Ephesians 1.7. Therefore, the new position is sure and unchanging. In chapters 4 through 6, the subject changes to the believer's practice in this present world. The key word here is walk. And you can see this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, the prisoner of, therefore, the I, let me read this. Again, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. See, the first part was in Christ, in Christ. Now, the key phrase is going to be walk. So it's there in uh, Ephesians 4.1. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. See, the Christian life is walking in practice what is true in your position, but it's the never-ending impossible task. You will never do it perfectly. Your walk will never match your position. That's why your salvation is based off your position, not your practice, and that's why you cannot look to your practice to prove your position because your position is proved by an imputed righteousness not an infused righteousness, all right? 
verse chapter 5, verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Please note, walk in love. Then look at uh, chapter 5, verse 8. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light, and the Lord walk as children of the light. And then look at uh, chapter 5, I believe, verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly and not as fools, but as wise. See, we are to walk out what is true of our position, but it's the never-ending impossible task. That's why we have to be saved by grace and be saved by an imputed righteousness. It's that simple. This, this word describes Christian living. If the believer doesn't walk in obedience, he does not have fellowship with the Lord. If he walks in sin, he displeases the Lord and grieves the indwelling spirit, Ephesians 4.30. But, but he does not lose his position in Christ. That is settled and sure and eternal. The two aspects of the Christian life are seen together in Ephesians 5.8. The believer is a child of light now. It is a present possession and position that was purchased by Christ and received as a free gift through faith. Since we are children of light, we should walk as children of light. In other words, since we are saved and have eternal life and are children of God, we should live like it. We should. We don't always. We fall short continually. What drives me crazy is when people want to make this somehow, a, hey, hey, you got you to gotta look at your life and that's the proof of your salvation. My practice cannot prove an imputed righteousness. It's imputed. It just declares me to be that which I'm not in practice. That's the whole point of being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, by an imputed righteousness. All right? Now, here's some concluding remarks. Listen carefully. Number one, if the believer does not understand things, he can become very discouraged and confused when he sins. Those who believe that a born-again child of God can lose his salvation do not understand this clear teaching of Scripture. Yeah, I, I put it this way. If you don't understand, you can become very discouraged and very confused. And the reason people become very discouraged and very confused is because you have this teaching that's so prevalent within the evangelical church that when you became a Christian, you became a new creature, old things pass away, all things have become new. Well, then that would be the eradication of the old man. That means I should stop sinning. And there's almost this teaching within the Christian world that you, you now have the power of God to stop sinning. You can now obey God. Well, then I should stop sinning. No, no. I've still got a sinful nature and will continue to sin. I should not excuse it. I have to deal with the ramifications of it. But the, the, I am saved not because of what I do. I'm saved because of my positional standing which is based off an imputed righteousness. So you're still going to sin. You say, well, how can I still sin? Because you still have a sinful nature. But in your position, you're perfect, you're holy. So you find your peace, you find your comfort, you find your hope, not in your practice, but in your position. When I go to bed at night, I don't go to bed at night you know, assure, with assurance because of what I do or did or didn't do but because of what Christ did and not being imputed to my account. 
Number two, the fact that the believer's position is not affected by his daily walk is no excuse to sin. I agree. We have already seen in these studies the terrible price that believer must pay if he does not walk in fellowship with the Lord. We've also seen that it is possible to be a professor of salvation without being a possessor. Well, that's true, but that can, you know, we can we could talk all day about that. All right, they give a bunch of uh, of questions here, but I'm not going to go through them. All right, we did 32 minutes, so I think we did pretty good there. I think we I think we did pretty good. Position and practice. You, you've got to know it. You've got to know the difference. You've got to see the difference and stop confusing people with how the things that we say. We constantly try to, I don't know why we confuse people with this. We sometimes, I think sometimes we teach what is true of our position and try to somehow make it like that's what should be true of your practice, but it's not the case. I, I always point to this when we, uh, I mean, we're still working through the book of Romans. We've been working through the book of Romans since 2000, 2019. We're in 2022. We're, I don't think we're going to finish. I don't think we're going to finish chapter nine <laughs> of Romans before this year is. I don't know if we're ever going to finish the book of Romans in our study. But ro- chapter seven, people always forget the way this chapter ends. Romans chapter seven, verse 25. I thank God, this is the Apostle Paul writing, Romans 7, 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. In your practice, in your flesh, you're going to sin. You're going to have wrong motives. You're going to have wrong desires. You're going to have wrong attitudes. You're going to be rude. You're going to be short. You're going to be unloving. You're going to be ungodly. You're going to sin in so many different ways. Doesn't excuse any of it. You have to own up to it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to deal with it. It's bad. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish we could all just stop sinning. Now, the only other option you have is to lower the standard of God to such a level that you feel like you can meet it which then you've lowered the standard of God and exalted yourself, which only leads to spiritual arrogance and pride and makes you basically a Pharisee or a Sadducee. And therefore, you're not even seeing yourself as you truly are. And you definitely are not seeing God as he truly is. And you're really creating yourself a major spiritual problem, which a lot of Christians find themselves. And they live almost a lie. They they almost live a lie. You have to, you can't lower God's standard and exalt yourself. You can't, or you just have to live in denial, pretending that you're more holy than you actually are. In your practice, acknowledge our shortcomings and our failure. But our hope is my salvation is not dependent on what I'm doing. It's dependent on what Christ did. And I can't look to what I do to prove my salvation. And this is where we confuse and confound position and practice. And I know many are going to argue, no, 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 no. The Bible gives us test. Yes, you're going to go to 1 John. Again, we've already talked about 1 John. I believe 1 John first and foremost is a polemic against Gnosticism. And again, I think 1 John deals more a lot with fellowship than it does with our relationship. But you can argue all day. I'm just saying you can try to find verses that will prove your point. Go ahead, 
convince yourself that you pass all the tests. Convince yourself because ultimately you're just going to be lying to yourself and convincing yourself that you're more holy than you actually are. And at some point, the reality, you're going to be confronted with the reality. You're not as godly as you pretend. You're not as holy as you as you make everyone believe. You're not a new creature with everything. All the old is gone and everything is new. You still have an old nature. You still are a sinner and you still fall short. And at some point, you're going to have to realize, hmm, I think some of these verses, they're speaking of my practice or my position, not my practice. And you're going to have to draw that distinction. Or I think at some point, you'll either live in denial or you'll find yourself discouraged, depressed, and deconstructing. And that's what happens to a lot of people. You come into Christianity, you get sold a bill of goods. I hate to say it. You become a Christian and boom, 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 boom. And they just act like that. Basically, you're going to stop sinning. And so then everybody convinces themselves that we basically run out there and grab a bunch of fig fig tree, fig leaves, cover ourselves in fig leaves with our own self-righteousness, thinking that we're better than we are. And sooner or later, the fig leaves fall off and we're, we stand exposed before everyone and everybody's like, oh, I can't believe. Well, no, yeah, you should be able to believe because we're all sinners with a sinful nature. Doesn't mean we excuse it. We're going to say, okay, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with it. Let's deal with it. Let's get, let's, let's, let's do repentance and restoration and let's get you back to where you need to be to serve God. But remember their position, their, their, nothing changes in their position. That's why when you can, you can go to say Hebrews 11 and read about all of these heroes of the faith. It's just amazing that Hebrews 11 leaves out all of the garbage they did and all of their sin. Why? Because they are seen based off their position not in their practice because now it, it points to their practice. Yes, they did some good things, but it just leaves out all of the bad things they did because in Christ, well, we're perfect and righteous and God will see that perfect righteousness because of Christ. That's how come sometimes you're like, well, wait a minute, why does the Bible act like that these people were so righteous and so godly? In their position, they are. Their practice is always a mixed bag, sometimes good, Sometimes really, really, really bad. Sometimes really, really confusing. Sometimes very much contradicting what we claim. Well, what we need to start claiming is the truth. I'm saved because of an imputed righteousness. I'm still a sinner and I will continue to sin. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we just don't want the world to, we don't want the world to understand that, which leads the world to completely being confused by the sin, the brokenness that we, they see in the church Christian homes, Christian families, Christian marriages, they, they see all of the brokenness. And they're like, well, you people are no better. Yeah, And well, we see that even in the Bible. Th- th- you think the people at the church of Corinth were better than the people in the city of Corinth? Okay, they were a mess in the church because they're still sinners. In Christ, they were saints. In Christ, they were perfect. In Christ, they were holy. Position, practice. We have to know relationship, fellowship. We have to know the difference. If we don't make that distinction, it leads to theological confusion and I believe hermeneutical, uh, hermeneutical mess as well. All right. Hopefully that was beneficial. I wanted to bring this series, mini series to a conclusion. You can go back and listen to part one. There you have it. We've talked about the distinction between law and grace. We've now looked at the distinction between position and practice. May God bless you as you consider these things. You can email me anytime, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. 
everyone have a great evening. God bless.